Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Oh, yeah. Come on. Ducks lose at night, but joy comes in the morning. Come on. All right. You know, church is a time to deal with our baggage. Come on, put it on the table and uh, get right with God. Come on. Isn't that true? So how many men here need to repent for what you yelled, shouted, thought, attitudes, anything from last night? Come on. I'm with you right here. Chief of sinners. The pillow heard things it never should have heard. You know, after that loss. Jesus, forgive me. I got to go preach to all these wonderful people in the morning. Man, it's a good day. I, I really know that today you're going to leave uh, here. First of all, you will leave. Um, you have to because otherwise you have to buy a ticket. But uh, when you leave here today, I believe you're going to be encouraged and that God is going to have spoken something to you, uh, connected with you in a new way. Whenever I come to church on Sunday, I'm never coming just saying, oh, it's just going to be just another Sunday. No, not coming just for duty, not coming for religion. We're coming here because we know that the church is important and it matters that us, what we're talking about here, is something significant. We are that ragtag band of misfits that Jesus has called together, called us out of our individual brokenness and our mistakes and failures and all of that to form what, he, what we call the church, to form his community that he wants to bring hope and healing to the world with. And so when we come together, this is a, something special, something unique, and I'm excited to be here. And uh, you, you guys are all looking really good today too. And uh, you ready to have a, a good time? How many of you are already having a good time, enjoying what God's doing? Man, powerful time in, in God's presence, just singing and worshiping. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like when it's raining outside, you can put a bucket out and collect that water. Otherwise, that's just going to fall and just be gone. You know, in worship, that's our moment to receive and, and worship God and let him just kind of fill us up from the inside out. So, you know, today I'm worshiping and just really drinking deep of the Spirit of God. Uh, and I'm going to walk out of here encouraged and refreshed. Come on. How about you? How about you? So if you're, if you're new here, if this is uh, your first time here, my name's Jake. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, along with my wife, Bethany. And don't worry, she keeps me in line, and I'm still in the process of growth. So give us at least more than one chance. But uh, we're so happy you're here. Want to just welcome you. Thank you for making that bold step to come and be a part of this. And don't worry, we're not going to do anything that would make you uncomfortable, like ask you to stand up or anything, because I'm an introvert and I get it. Uh, it's hard to be part of a big group. Come on, any introverts in here? Not really, because you wouldn't identify yourself, right? Those were extroverts trying to make introverts feel good. Woo! Introverts! You're not. Thank you. I love it. Just warming up the crowd here. Just see, I just want to see where the coffee consumption level's at, right? I'm just checking it out. Well, we've been, at, we've been in a series called Us, as you saw in the, the video there, talking about the uniqueness and the, the position of the church in the world. And uh, I encourage you to go back through and look at some of the other messages uh, in this series, just talking about how important it is to be connected into the community of Christ. We're not just another social institution. Uh, this isn't just a club uh, for religious people or people that believe in spiritual stuff. That's not what the church is. Again, the church is the, a group of people that have been called out uh, of darkness, called out of the world and brought into community and family uh, together and with God. And so this is the group, this is the community that Jesus works through to bring change into the world. And so that's why we're so excited about it why it matters and all of that. But today I want to share with you about the topic of serving, topic of service, and uh, talk about how we can live a life that leaves an impact. Talking about legacy, about making a difference in the world around you that actually goes beyond you, right? That isn't just about uh, a, a, an impact of something that is there even after you're gone, right? It's kind of like when you know you've been eating too many Cheetos and you sit down in the chair and two, two months later you come back and your imprint is still there. You've left a mark 
Not the kind we want to leave. Come on. Uh, I have a memory foam mattress, and the problem is it, it never forgets me, right? Because I'm too heavy and I weigh down. That was awesome. Okay, anyways, we want to live a life that leaves an impact. And so we're talking about service. Now, I think you will agree with me that we live in a very selfish, self-centered, self-obsessed, dare I say, culture. Come on. You know, we, we are the culture that has come up with this incredible term, selfie. We've literally invented a word and we've built devices so that we can simply take pictures of ourselves. And we even have a selfish sounding name for it, the selfie, right? Uh, we have shows like The Voice and American Idol where you'll be watching and I used to watch it with my parents. I'm like, why do you guys want to watch karaoke? Like, what is exciting about this? Like, this is none of the benefit of karaoke, all of the downside, you know? And they loved it. And we'd watch shows like American Idol and The Voice. And I was forced to watch them because, you know, part of the family, whatever. And uh, I'm like, this is lame. But I'd be watching and, and I started to really pick it apart, you know, uh, philosophically and theologically because you'd be watching it. And if you watch American Idol or The Voice, or whatever, people line up. They go to these schools or whatever, and they're going to do the auditions, right? Don't say if you've been there, because I'm no, you know, no, no shame in your game, but people go to these places and they get in line and then the cameras come through and they do these kind of like cameos, right? Or these, these shots where they're asking them, well, tell us, you know, tell us about your journey. Tell us about you. And they're like, you know, I've just been serving other people, helping other people, but now it's my time. How many of you have heard this? And I would be watching this like, this is gross. Like, don't you feel embarrassed that you're just saying, like, now it's my time to shine. I'm the new princess. I'm the new prince, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, this is ridiculous. You should at least be hypocritical and act like you don't care. You know what I mean? If I was there, I'd be like, I don't care. I was just in line here. Oh, you want to hear me sing Disney show tunes? I guess I can, you know? <laughs> but I would pretend at least that I wasn't into it. And so, you know, just looking into culture, though, like, we're kind of a little bit selfish by nature. And the, here's the thing. You don't have to teach people to be selfish, right? How many parents in the room? Anybody have little kids right now? So I've got a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a four-year-old. They're awesome, amazing kids, but I'm just going to tell you right now, man, they were not taught to be selfish. They learned it all by themselves. And I'm telling you, you know, there's a battle every day to be first and no, that's my piece of toast. I mean, we have eruptions in our house about very minor things like, no, I wanted the blue plate tonight. It's the exact same Ikea plastic plate, guys. One's blue, one's yellow, you're fine. And so we end up making up these elaborate things like stories. Oh, yellow for the Oregon Ducks. Jack, you should like that. And he's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> How many parents know what I'm talking about? There's like this selfishness. Me first. I want to go first. And it doesn't matter what it is. Okay, everybody's getting a spanking. I get to go first. This isn't a competition. <laughs> selfishness is on the inside. It's born in us. And guys, come on. It's not just kids. Like that's not, it's not just kids. It's us too, isn't it? As grown-ups, we maybe get a little bit better at concealing or masking, but we like to get our way. It's kind of about us. And so selfishness is the way of the world. But here's the thing. If we want the world to be different, we've got to be different. You see, most of us are at least aware, cognizant of the fact that we're living in a, in a world that is broken. It's not the world God intended it to be. There's problems in the world. But if we continue to operate from a natural inclination of just self-focus, uh, it doesn't, nothing's going to change. And so here's my uh, thesis for us today. If I want to make a difference, I need to be different. Come on. If I want to make a difference, I need to be different. Do you remember calling shotgun when you were a kid? If you're married and you still call shotgun, stop. Let your wife have the front seat. Come on, guys. Just let her have it. I remember I am the, I'm the oldest, um, as you can tell, because of my um, 
amazing uh, intellect and wit and humor and good looks, that I'm the oldest and the best in the birth order. <laughs> All the middle children are just like, I hate this guy. My wife's a middle child, so we have, an awesome, uh, we have an awesome relationship dealing with all that birth order stuff. No, I'm just kidding. But I am the oldest. My, my younger sister, Natalie, though, she refused to accept her subservient position as second born. So we would always play shotgun. And how many of you know shotgun is like, you can't break the rules of shotgun. Shotgun is like a universal principle. If you're going to get in a car and you say this magic word, shotgun, what does that mean? Front seat. You can sit in the front seat. Now, listen. Adults, go back to your, if you have kids, go back to the back seat and experience again and afresh why we all wanted to get out of there. You go, the back seat of our car is growing literally new species. The back seat of our car, I mean, it's like, there's like, it's like javelins of McDonald's French fries that are 17 years old sticking out of the seat. You see, ah, you know what I mean? There's horrible, unspeakable things in the back seat. So I remember as a kid, the reason I wanted to get out is because my brother Johnny was back there and he smells weird. He always smelled weird, right? We're 10 years apart. And every, I was like, I'm trying to wear cologne and be cool and try to get a female to notice me at like 14, 15, 16 years old, totally unsuccessful, but trying and Johnny was always like five, six, seven, right? And so he smells weird. He's got worms in his pocket. And I'm like, get me out of here. Like I'm clean and he's dirty and Natalie's fighting. And so it was like two days before we were going to go on a trip shotgun and we're trying to get preferential treatment. And I get it because getting out of the back seat, right? Trying to escape and it was worth fighting for. Now shotgun is kind of indicative, I think, of the way we are in life is we are always trying to find the preferred position for ourselves, and you and I both are suckers for this, aren't we? Well, you could buy the silver level <laughs> or for only $17.95 more, you could get the gold level, which means you get to shake hands with the person after they sing the song. You know, you get to go to the VIP. How many of you know we're suckers for this? Because we want the preferential thing. And this was not a new thing. This was actually taking place in, in Jesus' time. In fact, uh, Jesus and his disciples actually had a shotgun moment. And we see this story in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, where it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor, which is always dangerous, right? When somebody asks you this, what is your request? He asked, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. They're saying, I call shotgun. I want preferential treatment. I'm, I want to put myself above. I got here first. It's fair. I'm asking first, like it's about me getting what I want out of the situation. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? He's saying, there's a world of pain coming my way, guys. What you think you're getting, what you're wanting is not, you're not getting it. And they said, oh yes, they replied, we are able I don't think so, guys. And then Jesus told them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible right here. It says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I love the understatement there. Um, the word indignant is such a poignant word. It's so loaded with meaning, and yet it's so small. You know what I mean? Like last night when Auburn's true freshman quarterback throws the pass with nine seconds left and we lose the game, I'm going to tell you that I was indignant. Mm -hmm. 
the 10 others are mad. Why are they mad? Because they didn't call shotgun. They're mad because there's a wrestling and a striving even amongst Jesus' disciples for preference, for preferential treatment, which is to show you even these people walking with Jesus physically in the flesh, experiencing life with Jesus, they didn't fully get it. And so Jesus has to explain to them, he's talking to them, and these 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked. They were indignant, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be what? Different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. What? That's not, no, 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 no. That's not, I don't want to go to this church, Jesus. You know what I mean? What do you mean servant? My daughter, Penny, she's four. And right now we've been telling our kids, hey, we serve each other. We serve each other. She's like, I'm not a servant. I'm a princess. We're like, well, yeah, you are a princess. But, you know, as Christians, we serve each other. I'm not a servant. Well, daddy's a servant. Yeah, daddy. And then she'll say, well, yeah, mommy's a servant. Daddy's a servant. Because now she likes that idea that we're her servants. No, we're not your servants. We're all servants of Jesus. So we're working on our theology. But there's something inside of her that actually reacts against being known as or called a servant. And I'll tell you why. Because it isn't good. And you know it and I know it. It means you're sitting on the old McDonald's fries in the back seat while your smelly brother or your weird little sister is in the front seat. Come on. It means you're back in the nursery another week and that person's up there worshiping Jesus, like loving God, and you're back there in the nursery again. Come on, somebody. Shotgun! We want to get where we want to go. And Jesus says, listen, this is the way the world works. If you're in the world, you're the leader. You boss people around. You lord it over them. You're, you're throwing your weight around. You're getting your way. But look, if, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a leader in my kingdom, if you're going to be part of this new thing that I'm doing, then you have to embrace second place. You've got to embrace the life of a servant. So he says, whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And he says, for even the son of man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus says, look, we're doing things completely different, completely upside down. Why? Because the world is upside down and broken. And the way things are done in the world is not how it's meant to be. True greatness is serving. True greatness is loving. True greatness is laying your life down for others. And he says, that's what I came to do. Now, Jesus had every right to demand respect, to demand honor, to demand authority. He talks about in the scriptures various times where he could call in legions of angels. Uh, he could do what he wants to do. He has the, the power to do what he wants to do, but he chooses to embrace weakness and service why? Because he has to fix what went wrong with the world. And so he has to do things differently. If you want to explore this theme a little bit more, I wrote about it in my book, Reorthodox, where I talk about the fact that the world is fallen. And so the world is upside down and the systems and structures of this world are inverted. And so what, we, what appears to us to be unnatural and different about the kingdom of God is actually reorienting it to that which is correct. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's re correcting, aligning things. And he tells his guys, guys, you're missing it. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. You've got to be a slave. He's saying, if you want to change the world, you've got to change the way you operate because we can't be like the world and hope to leave an impact. We have to be different. We have to be different in the church. We, as the community of Christ, we, as the called out ones, have to exemplify and live a different way in order to make an impact, in order to, 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 to 
uh, be, make a difference in the world. And that's what Jesus gives us in that passage. So how do we do this? I want to give you four things today as we move forward. Four things, uh, four handlebars on this message that we can begin to apply. Number one, this is all you need to do. You just need to be like Jesus. All right, peace. <laughs> See you guys. Have a good week. You just need to be like Jesus, right? Just be like Jesus. How many of you know if we were more like Jesus, everything would be better? But how many of you know when you're doing something wrong and somebody's like, you need to be like Jesus, you just want to kill that person in that moment? I'm going to poke your eyeballs out right now if you say that to me again. You know what I mean? Being like Jesus is an extreme challenge, isn't it? But this is exactly what Paul, the apostle, tells the church in Philippi. He writes this letter to them. And they're dealing with this stuff, like being selfish and pref you know, preferring themselves. He says, guys, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You're like, okay, easy. I got it. Nailed it. Done. No, it's difficult. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This passage of scripture is what's known as the kenosis in Greek. It means the emptying. And it's talking about this reality and this mystery that Jesus being God actually empties himself of his divine attributes, comes and takes the humble position of a human. In other words, he invaded our mess and he lived as a part of our story so that he could bring us back into relationship with God. It's a very powerful thing. And what Paul is saying is, look, if you're following Jesus, you need to understand, follow his example. You can't simultaneously be following Jesus and not following Jesus. It doesn't work that way. So if you're trying to think of yourself as better than others and you're putting yourself first and you're, you're, you're living this way, you're not emulating the example of Christ. And there's something deeply powerful and spiritual about just seeing the example of Jesus and comparing yourself and going, man, I definitely fall short, but by his grace, I'm gonna lean in to be more like Jesus each and every day. One of the songs that most of you would think is super lame, unless you're probably over 40 or 50, but I grew up with it. There's an artist named Keith Green. Anybody remember who's oversaved? Come on, Keith Green. So you want to go back to Egypt? Come on, you know what I mean? Falsetto. Yeah, bell bottoms, bouncy hair. I don't have bouncy hair. My hair is so shellac. It, it, you know, it doesn't bounce. But Keith Green was like the guy, the dude. He played piano. I, I tried to play piano like Keith Green, you know, and he had all these songs. One of the songs that Keith Green wrote is called, uh, I want to be more like Jesus. And man, that song gets to me every time I listen to it. I want to, I need to. I want to be more, you know, uh, more like Jesus. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. I want to be more like Jesus. This is the heartbeat of a Christian, of a follower of Christ that knows, man, there's more for me. There's always a next step to, to pursue him. And this is going to be powerful, isn't it, to embrace this mindset of a servant. I think I hurt my neck when I was headbanging. Sorry, guys. This kind of lifestyle turns the world upside down. It, it, it's shocking in the midst of a bunch of people running the rat race when somebody's like, hey, you can win because I'm not a rat. <laughs> I'm not playing the game. I'm not going to step on you to get ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and I'm going to help you get up and we'll cross the finish line together. Like that changes things in the world. And so Jesus is our North Star. He's what we're aiming at. Number one, be like Jesus and put others first. Number two, we need to make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Listen to what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says, the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Let me say that again. The church doesn't just exist for us. 
We are the church and we exist for the world. How many of you know that we all want to form the church into our own image? Well, I prefer this song. I prefer if Pastor Jake would say it this way. I prefer if Pastor Jake wouldn't wear skinny jeans. He's a little overweight to be wearing those jeans. I would prefer if joy groups were every other week. I would prefer, I would prefer. Guess what? We all have a preference. I don't even like the way we do things around here sometimes. Well, you're the pastor. Yeah, but I'm married. I mean, I'm not the boss. Come on. You guys are a little nervous for me, huh? She's not in here. I'm not, but, oh no, my mother-in-law is though. So I'm in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. We don't all get our way. That's not what it's about. It's a family. Come on. It's a family. But, but here's the thing. We, a lot of times are thinking like consumers and we're trained this way by our culture, by our American Western culture. We're trained to view everything through the lens of what did this do for me? And the kingdom of God is a different culture. Jesus' kingdom is a different culture. It's about making this, flipping this switch and making this move. I'm not just here to consume and take something, take religious training or take something and then go and consume it in private and have this private relationship with God and I. But actually what it looks like is when I get fed that I go and feed other people. Come on, that we believe in the richness and the the goodness of God that as he's feeding us and healing us and helping us with our emotions and helping us with our thoughts and helping us with our marriages and with our families and with our finances and all of the amazing things God does, that his goodness is coming to us and that there's enough for others, that as I am fed, I go and feed. I'm not just a consumer of religious content. I am a contributor in everything that entails. Come on. And so we need to ask ourselves this question. You don't have to answer it now, but answer it this week take some time and and get quiet before the Lord and answer this question. Am I a consumer or am I a contributor? And then take it another level. In what areas of my life am I simply a consumer and what areas of my life have I actually made that move and I'm actually a contributor? Now, let me just give you a very deep spiritual principle in a very short amount of time. In John chapter four, Jesus is talking to a woman at a well and he begins to tell her about how he is the living water. And if she will drink of him, then she will never be thirsty again. And she's like, man, this is amazing. I want some of that water. He goes, I'm the living water. And and during this whole thing, as he's ministering to this this lady and he's giving her this incredible conversation, uh, she runs off to go tell people in the city. And it says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. And how many of you, when you hear that, you're like, that's the prophetic word of God right there. Eat something. Come on, we can get behind this message. You're not agreeing with me. That's fine. You guys are going to go eat rabbit food and salad. I'm going to go have something delicious. But anyways, rabbi, eat something. But in verse 32, it says, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And they're like, what, 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 like Chick-fil-A, in and out What kind of food do you have that we don't know anything about? They said, did someone bring him food while we were gone? They're asking each other, who brought, who, I, I was the one that was going to bring him the food. What are you, what are you doing? And then Jesus explained in verse 34, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And this is like a mind-blowing thought. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not fed by what you bring to me. I'm fed by what I give out. I'm not fed exclusively by, yeah, yeah, Jesus still has to eat, he still has to drink water, but he's giving them a spiritual principle. He's saying, I am fulfilled I am fed, I am encouraged, I am motivated, I am fueled as I lock into what God has called me to do and who he's called me to be. Let me just tell you right now, you were made on purpose and for a purpose. 
There is a destiny that's like Iron Man's suit that you're supposed to wear and it's supposed to come on you. And then boom, as you lock into that destiny, you go out and you're dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And there's something exciting and exhilarating and fulfilling about saying, man, I'm serving and God is filling me as I give out. It's supernatural. Come on, somebody. When I begin to serve and actually begin to feed, when I'm doing the will of God, when I'm walking in the call of God in my life, he's coming alongside of me and refueling me in that process. And this is what spiritual maturity is, is I've made this move from being a consumer. Let me just tell you right now, a lot of people feel empty in their Christianity and they continue to consume, 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 and they have no understanding of why it feels like it's going in and just falling out your leg and like you're never full. And then here's somebody over here who's always serving and ministering. And it's like, they have so much God on the inside of them that it's spilling everywhere. You're like, you're getting God on me. Get it off, get it off, get it off, you know? You're spilling over. That was a better joke than you're giving me credit for. They're so full of God. You're like, why are you so happy all the time? And why are you so nice? And how can you're always telling people about Jesus? And here I am. And I listen to all the sermons on YouTube and I'm like always in worship and I'm like there and I'm like, and I can't get enough. I must've had red meat last night. I'm a little excited. (laughs) Why? Why do I feel empty? Because you're not locking into this spiritual principle that when you serve, when you give, when you minister, when you lock into what God's called you to be, God is going to come and fill you from the inside out. Make the move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Can I get some oxygen up here, please? (laughs) Flick the duck's defense in the second (laughs) go. Number three, we need to identify our contribution. Identify your contribution. Every single one of us has been given a gift. It talks about it in Romans chapter 12. I won't go through the whole verse just to save time, but it talks about how God in his grace gave gave each of us a gift, a gift of leadership, a gift of prophecy, a gift of serving, a gift of encouragement, a gift of kindness. And we're supposed to lock in and discover that gift, that contribution that we can make. And then we're supposed to give our life to making that contribution. One of the things that we really have made a value here at Joy Church is we are all about getting every single person out of the stands and onto the field. If you've been serving Jesus for more than 10 minutes, it's time to get out of the stands and onto the field. You go, well, that, doesn't, that's, that seems crazy. Like I just gave my life to Jesus last week and you're saying I should go do what? Well, I'm saying you should help somebody else get as far as you are. And then if they get a little bit farther, then let them help you get where you are. But this is how the kingdom of God should work. It's like viral discipleship. Come on. And and we believe this. There's always a next step with Jesus. So we've actually created an environment called Next Track that happens every single Sunday at 9 a.m. in Theater 2, where we help you discover, and it's just the beginning of the journey, right? It's like a lifelong journey you're going to go on, but this is the beginning of the journey. Help you discover what are your gifts, What's an area that God has graced you with that is given you that you can actually contribute to the, to the operation and ministry of what we as the church are doing together, okay? You see, a lot of times Christians are, are not living in sin. They're not, like, they're not like all messed up or whatever, but they're just distracted and disconnected from purpose. And, and the devil likes to keep us in that mindset and even our own uh, flesh and desires and everything keeps us locked down because we simply don't know how we fit in to to get unleashed and unlocked in what God's called us to do, okay? But here's what I know, that in this room is the potential to change not just our city, not just our county, not just our state, but change the world. 
literally within this room are the seeds of greatness that as each of us would begin to embrace who God's called us to be and begin to take our place uh, in the church serving that God could do some incredible things. So it's so, so important that you take the time to identify your contribution. God, what is my gift? And you might be sitting here in insecurity going, well, I don't have a gift. No, you do. God's word says that you do. If you are a human being and you are breathing oxygen, God has given you a gift. It's just up to you to discover what that is. Others of you know what your gift is, but you very, very much undervalue it. I love here in this verse where it says, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. Did you know you might actually have a gift of encouragement? Remember last week when I was embarrassing myself doing cheerleader moves? This is why you need to come to church every week. You missed it if you weren't here last week. It was, in, it was incredible, I'm going to be honest with you. The agility on display. No, Maddie, no? You're just jealous. I, don't, I was thinking of myself as a cheerleader. I lost my, my train of thought there. <laughs> We're talking about the fact that cheerleaders always encourage, right? Cheerleader never is like, yay, you fumbled, yay. They don't do that. They just celebrate and encourage Maybe God has wired you that you're like relentlessly positive. So you bug some people because you're like, you did great. They're like, I totally messed this up. No, you're amazing. You're incredible. Could it be, could it be that, that God has given you the gift of encouragement? And maybe you're undervaluing yourself being like, you know, that's not a big deal. I'm just kind of nice. And most of the time people are like, you're a little much, you know, and, I, and so you've, you're kind of suppressing. What if your job is to be out in the front. So when people walk in, you're just like, hey, you look amazing today. They're like, I feel like crap, you know. No, you're amazing. And your gift is to encourage. What if that's your zone? What if that's your place in the church? Come on. But we got to identify our contribution, not undervalue it, not believe we don't have it, but agree with God's word and say, hey, I've got something to give. All right, number four. We'll finish up with this. Number four, we need to serve in the church and also as the church in the world. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. It matters that we serve in the church. Now, this is kind of an interesting phenomenon that's kind of passing through the church at large in the United States and Western culture in general, is right now we've got like this creative mindset about how we serve. And, and one of the things I'll hear people say is, well, I tithe... Uh, I give my tithe to, you know, this social organization and I serve, I volunteer over here and then I come to church on Sunday and I consume, but I do my output somewhere else. And, and what, what, what I, what I want to deal with this uh, here is this. I want you to imagine that I sit down at my dinner table and I have three kids. For those of you that know me or don't know me, I've got three kids. I have Evie, I have Jack, I have Penny and uh, Bethany and I, we're doing our best. We play zone defense. There's two of us, three of them, but now we have Esther. So now we've got them. We can play man coverage. And uh, we have these three kids and they're amazing and we're shaping them to be world changers. You know, they carry the prophetic destiny of God in their life, but man, they need to be shaped and challenged. Come on, I believe in parenting. Hello, still got to parent your kids, even though you know, they got a great destiny. My kids, you know, they all have a job. They, they have chores. And I want you to think if I'm sitting there at the dinner table and Evie's like, dad, you know, we've been thinking and we really appreciate what you and mom do. Really appreciate the roof over our head and the fact that, you know, if somebody breaks in here, like you're going to fight them in your underwear. You know, we appreciate all this kind of stuff that goes on. But we've just decided it would be better for us. It fits us more. Like it's just kind of how, it's just for me, it's the right thing. 
if I would go over to the neighbor kid's house and help them do their chores when I feel like it. And you know what I would say to them? No. No. This is your house. This is your family. You serve here first. And then you go serve if you have extra energy, right? You got to embrace where God has placed you. Embrace the place God has planted you and serve in the church. And I'll tell you why, guys. Because if we all do our own creative thing, if I start making up my own creative thing, well, I go and I volunteer over here and I go over here, but I ignore the family, then what we end up missing out on is what God wants to do through us. Now, this is not a knock on anybody who volunteers other places. I'm not saying that. Volunteer as much as you want to volunteer. But don't neglect your family. Serve the people that God has placed around you. There is something that is deeply humbling. It brings humility. It brings honor. It brings life and power when we say I'm part of something and the, and the, and the, the something I'm a part of is greater than the me. The we is greater than the me. Because here's what this unlocks. When we embrace serving in our family and we embrace doing our chores, and I'm not saying serving God is like doing chores, although sometimes it is. But when we lock in and we're all serving inside of the church, what that does is it unlocks us to be what the church is supposed to be outside in the world, which is this, what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. When we get, get it right inside the church, guess what happens? We start to get it right outside the church. We start to be shining and the we that's greater than the me begins to make an impact on the world around us that's greater than any of us individually are making. Come on. And let me just tell you right now, when thousands of people are flocking out of church to go find their own personal experience of God and running outside of the church to go create their own theology and their own morality and go create their own little perfect world of serving, they're missing out on something deeply powerful, which is to embrace your, your, not your uniqueness, but your sameness and to embrace getting into the family and saying, no, we are better than just me. I need other people and this is my family. And as we serve here, boom, we unlock what God wants to do through us in the world. And I'll just tell you right now, there is no organization you can go to that is what the church is. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the vehicle that Jesus has decided is going to be the, the vehicle of his hope and healing to unleash it in the church. And I wanna be at ground zero with you. I wanna be at that moment right there when we're watching God work incredible things. And like I said before, inside of this room is the potential to change this community, not just as individuals, but us together. Come on, if you drive on I-5 and you look now at the old Skate World building that we bought, which is exciting, you see a big 40-foot banner right now that says Future Home of Joy Church. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's really cool. I'll tell you why it's cool. It's cool because, yeah, we're going to have our own building. That's cool. It's cool because, yeah, we're going to have a big kid's playground inside, but it's more cool because what we're doing is making it impossible to miss Jesus in this city. I had so many pastors come to me. Why are you guys spending so much money? Why are you trying to get this building right here on the freeway that looks like terrible right now? <laughs> Why did you guys spend every cent you have and more and try to raise absurd amounts of money from a brand new church? Why, why, why? Why don't you go buy some property on the outside of town? And Bethany and I, we always kind of get like a sly grin on our face because we're like, first of all, we're crazy. But the second reason and the real reason is this. We want to be where the people are. Our church is not for us to go sit in some nice, beautiful building on the outside of town. We want to be right in the mess. 
because that's where Jesus would be. We want to be right in the middle so that everybody that drives by, over 20 million people a year, how many cars go by there, are, it's going to be impossible for them to not know at least that there's some crazy loving church that wants nothing more than to get them covered with God, just spilling over. Come on. There's people that, that want to be the light of the world. Come on. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill. So why do we want to be there? We want to reach people. We want to be impossible to miss. We're not running away to escape culture. We're here to serve this culture. We're not running away from our city going, ah, everybody's so screwed up in this city and we're going to run off to some commune somewhere. No, we're right here because Jesus has planted us in this place as a family, come on, of believers and those called out to make a difference. Come on, I'm preaching good. I want to hear some amens. Are we shining the light of Jesus in our community because God gets glory when we operate as the church in the world? But it starts with something as simple and as easy as figuring out who you are in God, identifying your contribution and beginning to serve inside the church, beginning to serve your brothers and sisters so that you get equipped and enabled and unlocked to go and be the church out in the world. So hey guys, today, if you have not gone through Next Track, if you've not begun to identify your contribution, I wanna ask you, get in there next week, 9 a.m., do it, it's four weeks, easy like the easiest thing in the world to do. You just go in there. Somebody force feeds you donuts. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And God unleashes you and unlocks you in your identity. Come on, but maybe, maybe you're here. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're like hesitant because you don't want to get sucked in. Well, I did nursery for 30 years, all right? I did this and I don't want to get locked in. Come on, be like Jesus. Every one of us needs to embrace serving. We should have a surplus. What it should look like is not all the volunteer leaders going, hey, I don't have enough positions to fill at church. It should be like, we have so many people, we have to make up new jobs. There should be like 50 fake jobs every Sunday for as many people are here. Come on. This should never be a place ever where we're like, we need volunteers. Never. We're not. We Serving is your right and it's your inheritance as a follower of Jesus and it will fill you. Come on. I don't serve because I'm needed. I'm, I serve because I need it and I get something out of it and it's awesome. Come on. Get involved. All right, I know we got to beat the other churches to the best restaurants, like Jesus would do. How many of you, though, agree, hey, I'm challenged. I want to change. I want to take a step forward as a follower of Jesus. Anybody? Anybody? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, as we get ready to finish up here today, maybe you've come to Joy Church this morning and you're just looking for something. You, you came, maybe you saw a TV ad or a Facebook ad or somebody invited you or both. Maybe you just walked in here today and saw this church going on in this movie theater. But there's something about what's happening here and you're like, man, this is kind of different. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of real. I just want you to know, before you could ever do anything for God, before you could ever serve him or be a part of doing what he wants you to do, you have to receive him and his service of you. And the greatest act of service that Jesus did, which is he came to this planet, invaded our mess, and he gave his life to make a way for us to be reconciled with God. And so the very first act of a Christian is just to receive the grace that God wants to give you, not because you deserve it, because you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But to give it to you because he just loves you and he wants to redeem you and reconcile you to him. You're his child. And right now, whatever lie you're believing about yourself, about your past, about what you think being a Christian means and, oh, I'm gonna have to live this way and change this. You know, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that God loves you. He brought you to this place and he is saying, you have an opportunity to receive my son Jesus and come into relationship with me. And look, if you wanna be part of the family of God, you can receive his grace and mercy right now 
And if that's you and you want to follow Jesus, if that's you and you want to be part of God's family, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, not in some metaphorical, philosophical, you know, even religious way, but like an actual, real, tangible, authentic way to embrace what Jesus did for you and begin to follow him as part of the family of God. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all over this place. Come on, anybody else? I want Jesus. Like, I don't want religious stuff. I don't want like fake. I want Jesus. I want to follow him for real. Come on, if that's you, raise up your hand right now. I want Jesus. Come on, cry out for him today. That's awesome. Come on, this place is full of people that want Jesus. If that's you and all of us together, let's pray this prayer. Just pray it with sincerity. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life today every part, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.